welcome to Curricular Carryout from Connected Falkirk. This is episode one of our brand new podcast, which is based around professional learning for educators in the digital sphere. So we're going to be talking about all things digital, well, maybe not all things digital, but many, many things digital. Um, stuff that we've been seeing over and over on various different platforms, things that we've been hearing from teachers that work really well. And we're basically just going to be taking a bit of a deep dive into some of those things and discussing them. So before we get started, I should introduce you to the presenters of the podcast. I am Kerry Abercrombie. We have the rest of the Connected Falkirk team on episode one today. So we have Gavin Morrison. Hello, everyone. We have Andy Ault. Hi, guys. And we have Mary Jane Patterson. Hi, everyone. So we are going to be having a discussion today about various different things that we have seen recently. Uh, This current episode is going to cover Bitmoji classrooms, holding slides and the use of polls and forms in live lessons. So just a little bit about how we're going to go about this, given that this is the very first episode. Um, Our CLPL principles at Connected Falkirk are based around three really simple words, and those are easy compatible and useful and everything that we are doing at Connected Falkirk in terms of CLPL aims to kind of form around those three tenants or those three principles. Easy because it has to be easy for you to use, it has to be easy for you to make, compatible because at the end of the day it's all about learning and teaching and it does have to fit in with the curriculum that you are attempting to teach whatever age or stage that might be at and useful because well if it's not useful then what's the point? So, remote learning, that seems to be the sort of words that are on everyone's lips just now. Uh, Lots of chat about it in various different places. On Twitter, we've seen a lot of chat about it. In the news, we've seen a lot of chat about it. Does anybody want to come in on any any thoughts about remote learning just at this point? No, Kerry, I think you're you're 100% right there. It's, It's not just something that teachers are aware of now. It's a, it's a big kind of, it's a big, it's a very important buzzwords or it's a lot of, kind of getting a lot of airtime based on the current climate that we're, that we're working in with parents, pupils and staff all being part of the remote learning and remote working environment. I, totally, that's it, because there's parents that are working remotely now as well. It's not just us teachers that are doing things in the, in the remote sphere. Gav? Yeah, I think it's been interesting reading on Twitter that a lot of people seem to have a different idea of what remote learning actually is or or looks like and certainly what what is the best way of doing it. And I'm not sure if we've even quite figured that out yet, but we seem to be, as we go through these lockdown scenarios, becoming more familiar with how to actually manage online learning and do all the usual things you would do in a classroom um, in a way that's useful for the pupils and the parents too. Yeah, Gav, I totally agree with you. I think it's that it's that part of as teachers, you know, we've all got our own personalities and we've all got our own, you know, how we create our own environments. And that's something that teachers are now, through the remote aspect, have been able to personalise how they deliver their lessons and how they share content with their pupils. And that's one of the most exciting parts to be able to see as staff creating their their own environments. And, and it's great it's great to be watch and be part of. Absolutely. I totally agree. I think... That's kind of why we wanted to bring this podcast to the fore and start with remote learning because there are so many different ways to go about creating that sort of remote learning environment or virtual learning environment. And like you say, Andy, everybody's got different styles, everybody's got different personalities. What works for one doesn't necessarily work for another. I'm sure, Mary Jane, you'll agree, being primary based, that, you know, what works in primary doesn't necessarily work in secondary. Totally, yeah. 
So I think, yeah, like we're going to go through some stuff today and this is by no means us telling you what you should be using. It's just bringing to the fore some ideas and you can decide for yourself whether you think it would work for you and whether it would fit in with your style or not. So without further ado, um, shall we get started? Yep. Sounds good. Great. Okay, so Bitmoji Classrooms is what we are tackling first. So Bitmoji Classrooms, for anyone who has no idea, Mary-Jane, do you want to give us a very quick rundown of what a Bitmoji Classroom is? I will try my best. Um, so a Bitmoji Classroom is a virtual representation of a classroom or a school environment where you add in an avatar, a cartoon-like image of yourself and it can be used as a tool to share learning and resources with other teachers and with students as well. Fabulous. I imagine many folk will have probably seen them. They're really, really cute. I really like them. I really like how personalised you can make them as well. Andy? And I think it's that, you know, as you're saying there, it's that that classroom environment, or if you're a practical subject, it really gives you that opportunity to kind of personalise your initial contact and sharing with parents as well. Totally. That's really important as well. Yeah, the sort of transparency of the Bitmoji classroom versus the transparency of maybe a closed door classroom in a school. Um, Because so many of us have so much of our personalities in our physical classrooms. And that's something that can be quite difficult to get in a sort of virtual learning environment, your Google Classrooms, your Microsoft Teams and stuff. There's not a huge amount of customizable options. Um, So this perhaps gives a good good kind of um, route into that. Gav? It's also quite a nice way of allowing the pupils and the students to know where to find things. I've seen some people who have like a bookcase uh, graphic in their Bitmoji classroom and then they'll have a label of what resources are available there. So instead of it being buried in maybe a file or a folder system that's not very user friendly for young people, it's something that's familiar. It might be in the exact location that it would be in the classroom. So I think that's a really positive aspect of them as well. Yeah, that is good. I would really like to meet someone who's made an exact replica of their actual classroom layout. (laughs) That is dedication. Um, I'm sure that person is out there. I'm sure sure they are. If it's you, please get in touch and show us your exact (laughs) replica of your classroom. Um, So the main thing about Bitmoji classrooms, I guess, is that they are asynchronous learning opportunities. And what we mean by that, of course, is that they do not have to be engaged with in a live capacity. Um, Pupils can go to them at any time like Gav was saying, to access resources or um, other sort of learning elements, games, so on and so forth. I couldn't think of anything else to say apart from games there. (laughs) Um, But games, books, videos, so on and so forth. Um, So going back to these tenets of easy, compatible and useful, Mary-Jane, you've made a Bitmoji Classroom. I have, yeah. On the subject of easy, how easy was it for you to actually set up and make that? Um, Yeah, it was relatively easy to set up. You can use either uh, Google Slides or you can use PowerPoint as well to create the virtual classroom. It's quite similar to setting up, you know, a kind of standard PowerPoint or Google presentation where you're adding images you want, you're resizing them and you're, you know, making them to scale on the slide so that it fits in with your uh, virtual classroom. You can also add the links to the images as well. So, you know, you would do that in a normal presentation depending on what you're presenting so that you can link things to websites, resources, videos, sways, 
the list's endless. Aye, I found it really simple to make. Actually, this is maybe a good mm-hmm. point to say that we do have a sway that goes along with this podcast where you can access all the resources that we're talking about and there is a great guide to making a Bitmoji classroom from the teacher lady um, on that sway for episode one. So if you are interested in making a Bitmoji classroom, then obviously you can go to the sway and have a wee look at that. I found it really easy as well. The one thing I would say is... As somebody who likes to kind of footer about with design stuff um, and like this sort of unlimited options of whatever posters you want or whatever wallpaper you want or whatever carpet you want, whatever, I found it, it, it drained a lot of my time just because I was like, oh my God, like I'm, I'm going to look at all this stuff and get it looking really cool. I'll second that, having seen what Kerry was doing and how much she was getting caught up and running away with it. It definitely, it's one of those things that as teachers, you know, when you, you've got that opportunity to just be creative and do something that's for you, like you, then it does it does it does kind of let your imagination go wild. And it's a great, great yeah. thing. I would say the first time, the first one that I made, it, it it took me a long time. It was very easy, but it took me a long time. But then I think probably Mary Jane, once you've got that template of like what you want your classroom to look like, it's quite easy to change it, would you say? Yeah, so easy to go in and change it. Once you kind of get your bearings with it and you know totally what you're doing and you've experimented with adding things in it's so easy to go ahead and and change it so let's talk timings like what would you say how long would you say it probably would take if you were just doing a basic one and you wanted to get it up off the ground um a basic one it probably my first go maybe took me about an hour of sitting down and you know that's including the time that it took me to search for some of the images that I wanted and think about you know website links and all that kind of um stuff that goes into it so I would say you know minimum an hour to get off the ground but like we've already discussed, once you kind of start that, it's then really easy going forward. Right. Fabulous. So let's move on then to compatible. Um, you have actually used it. You used it in lockdown 1.0 with your yep. P5 class? P54, yeah. Um, so how compatible was it with what you were actually teaching at the time? It was great. Um, I found it really compatible. I, I, I still uploaded a lot of my core learning. We used Teams. Um, so a lot of my core learning went on to Teams, but it was such a great way to add in all those extra learning opportunities for the pupils and, you know, kind of cover all the various different areas of the curriculum for them to access whenever they wanted, explore at their own pace, have it to go back to. So I found it really useful as well for, um, you know, different chances for differentiation for different groups of children and adding challenge and extra tasks onto them as well. So it, it was really very compatible. Right, so you were just basically using all the things that you would use in a normal classroom, but then putting it sort of virtually on there. Yeah, all in one place. And like Gav said earlier, uh, you know, it's all on that one virtual classroom. You're not having to go and search for all these different files. It's all there for you. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's really interesting. I think when I made it in lockdown 1.0, um, I used it very, very briefly and it was as a sort of um, extension task. So go mm-hmm. to the Bitmoji classroom and choose something to do. Um, so I don't know how... I wouldn't say it's not compatible. I Secondary English or secondary media being my sort of subject. And I could definitely see the uses for it, but I think it would take me a little bit more time to think about how it could be compatible um, and be more thoughtful about what is placed in the in the Bitmoji classroom um, rather than it, like you say, just being like extensions. I think there's lots of scope mm-hmm. for it to genuinely be compatible. Uh, but I did only use it as an extension thing, so I guess I can't really talk about 
like that. But going on to useful, for me, overall, that's what it was really useful for. Like I've a suite of extension tasks um, and a range of different multimedia that, like you say, pupils could go to um, and work on at their own pace. Is there anything else you thought it was useful for? I think, um, like you're saying, if it's really well thought out, it would be a great tool for interdisciplinary learning if you're covering a certain topic and a really good way to incorporate all the different curricular areas through that one Bitmoji classroom. Yeah, I love that actually because then you could totally have your Bitmoji classroom decorated like whatever your topic is. Yeah, so if your topic was like the Aztecs or like Africa or whatever, you could have it all like visually related to that. Gav? Yeah, I just want to know how come the Bitmoji teachers are always so cheery? (laughs) You never see a Bitmoji class teacher who's like tired because they've been up all night marking or carrying a big carrier bag full of jotters or anything so I just I just wondered you know what is their secret and what have I been doing wrong all these years <laughs> that's true I feel like my bitmoji always looks slightly deranged I'm not really sure <laughs> if I'm choosing the wrong like pose for her um or maybe just I just generally look deranged and it's quite accurate and maybe maybe that's what it is um okay anything else for anything else on bitmoji classrooms then guys no that sounds great to me Cool. So we'll move on then from Bitmoji Classrooms. If you have made a Bitmoji Classroom and you're extremely proud of it, um, you can show us it. You can get in touch on Twitter via at Connected Folk. Um, just tag us in your beautiful Bitmoji Classroom post. Um, or if you're a wee bit shy, you can send us a DM. That's fine as well. Moving on then, holding slides. This is something that we've seen a lot with the um, increase of live lessons uh, via Teams calls or Google Meet or whatever it might be. Holding slides. Andy, if you've never heard of them before, could you tell us what they are? Yeah, thanks, Kerry. So what is a holding slide? I suppose the kind of easiest way to describe it is it's that initial contact. It's what, what that image is that greets people as they join your online meeting. I suppose it's like that idea of, you know, pupils, if they're coming from different periods, can arrive at different times based on where they're coming from in the school. You would have your kind of starter task up, something that as soon as people are there, it kind of it kind of engages them and they start on something purposeful. So I suppose my analogy of it is as a holding slide as that kind of starter task it's the pulling together so it's as people are joining the online forum the online platform whether it's teams or google meet it's what's that first thing that they see now i think that's a really important thing i think it's a great idea because it just i suppose it kind of it sets the tone and and i'm sure that everyone will be used to saying now can you just mute your mic please (laughs) you know so it's this idea of it allows you to kind of set the scene of where you're going, whether it's a, an individual lesson or a kind of block of lessons. So, Kerry, do you think that kind of encapsulates what a holding slide is? Aye, totally. You've actually already covered some of the things that we might get into in a little minute about being useful and compatible. But that, yeah, that's an overview of what a holding slide is. Let's start with a question that I think is going to be very easy to answer and there'll be a general consensus. How easy is it to make a holding slide? Very, <laughs> very once again, I mean, we've seen lots of, you know, we just talk, we've just spoke, spoken about Bitmoji classrooms and that idea of creating your template. A lot of staff are then using that same template and just personalising it slightly, you know, still with their kind of Bitmoji avatar and their kind of classroom setting. So, yeah, I would say, once again, very, very easy, easy to set up, something that can be 
you know, you can create one that is your standard one or it means that you can personalise it for different kind of ages, stages, different classes, etc. Aye, I think we're all in agreement that it's very easy to make a holding slide. If you've ever made a PowerPoint presentation or a Google Slides presentation, then you can make a holding slide. The question is, how easy is it to make it sustainable? And I think you've hit on like, there's sort of two options there. So you either make one that you use every time that has the same information on it or are you going to go down the route of making a bespoke one for each lesson or for each class grouping or each topic or whatever it is? I mean, there's benefits and drawbacks to both. Time, I think, being the, the main mm-hmm. factor. If you're going to make a bespoke one for every single lesson, then that's that's obviously a, a more of a drain on time. But then you're going to be making the resources for each lesson anyway. So is it that much more to make the holding slide for that? I'm, I don't know. Yeah, I think, and then thinking about that exact same point from the pupils' point of view, like if they're going to a number of different meetings, are there different holding slides for each one? Are there different expectations for each one? And then is it more difficult for them to kind of keep up with what's expected of them in each meeting? And is there an opportunity to have some kind of consistency across what's expected of students in an online class? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. I think I think the good bit about them, you know, I suppose that it's a kind of common consensus. It is this idea of... It's the ability to share the specific things that you just want the the pupils to remind. So, you know, taking screenshots of if you're using Google Meet, the little bar at the bottom that allows you to say, remember, mute your mic, to mute your mic, you do this. When you join, mute your mic, you know, say hi in the chat. It's that idea of it. It's it's even just it's the kind of reinforcement and the helping of the the the, 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 the navigation of the online platform as well. And I suppose with it being still quite new, I think that's really helpful as well, not just for the pupils, but also for the staff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. So we're kind of jumping forward to useful, which is good. Um, We'll just go back quickly to compatible. Um, Obviously, how compatible it is with the curriculum here is slightly moot because you're not going to do your whole entire lesson off of one slide um but thinking about how compatible they are with the kit that you have like obviously if you're using a holding slide you are presenting your screen some people really want to be present on the screen um as their image as well as the, the the presentation so it's just thinking about how compatible it is would you say that you need to have two devices in order to Use a holding slide. I think that's that. That's where it comes down to a lot to do with you know personal preference. Some some staff, um, some staff are are happy to to have themselves as part of it. Other staff, uh, prefer to be more sharing their screen so the pup you know they're you know going through the lesson with the pupils or explaining the tasks etc. And I think that's where you know having two devices or one device is it come it comes down to yourself. That idea of joining on a second device to have the ability to share your screen is great. And it means that the pupils can see you. For me personally, I, I like I like that form of engagement. I like, you know, the pupils being able to see to see you when you're kind of explaining the task. It gets across that idea of the the kind of passion and how excited you are by it and when you're trying to kind of engage them in it. And I think that's something that yeah. that is allows you to do that by having the two screens but once again as we said it's this idea of it is personal preference i would say that you know um even potentially different classes you would you would choose to do it in different ways once again it's it's really down to yourself yeah i think there's been a lot of chat recently about the fact that 
you know, to save bandwidth and obviously for safeguarding reasons, there's lots of times where pupils will have their cameras off and they will be muted and the teacher will be delivering the lesson and maybe getting responses through, you know, chat or through Padlet or Mentimeter or some other form um, of communication alongside the meet. Um, you know, in that case, I can see why you would maybe not want to be the sole image on the screen. But I, th- I don't, the thing is, it's about the, the, the pedagogical value of you being on the screen, isn't it? Like if you're doing a demonstration of some kind, um, say, you know, if you're teaching Makaton, you can't do that without being on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but how important is it for you to be there? And a lot of the times I wonder if maybe it's about like a well-being element. Yeah. Like you just want the kids to see you and connect with you and trying to get that human contact um, and, and what feels like a very sort of robotic virtual world. But again, there's no right right or wrong way to do it. But going back to holding slides, I kind of got a bit off track there and that was my fault. Going back to holding slides, useful. So actually useful for, um, I think, Andy, you've already pointed out, very useful for expectations, like what you as a teacher in that lesson would like the setup to be. Do you want everyone on mute? Do you want everyone's cameras off? Do you want them to say hello in the chat so that they're using that function? Um, what else? It's that kind of it's that initial dialogue, isn't it? It's the management, so it's the kind of interruptions, it's the checking in, it's giving it's giving pupils that kind of starting point and the teacher to see, all oh, right, quickly kind of scan down. I can see who's in today. Oh, that pupil's missing, right? Okay, I'll get a wee note of that down. It's that kind of the start to what you're looking to do. It sets the scene for the, 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 the period, the lesson. So it's a good point you're making there about giving you a chance to sort of get your ducks in a row and sort everything out. You know, if you've got that holding slide up there, especially if it's got a task on it, that gives you those few extra minutes to just kind of, you know, get everything together and make sure that everyone's there and get yourself like sort of G'd up to start. Yeah. As I said, look, you know, as teachers, it's one of those things, things happen, you know, oh, right, oh, I thought that pivot, you know, I thought that slide was there, right, I'm just I'm just quickly going to, it just, it allows, I think it, from a personal point of view, it relaxes me into that starting point. It doesn't matter whether it's a lesson or whether you're presenting a CLPL session or you're taking part in a meeting, you want to, you know, it gives you that kind of nice ease and transition into what, you, what you're looking yeah, to do. Totally. Marjane? I think just exactly what Andy said there, I was just going to come in on that, but in terms of the pupils sometimes feeling that when they come into a meeting, um, a Teams or a, a Google Meet, and they have the holding slide there for the expectations, but also even, you know, that little bit of what they're going to cover within that meeting relaxes them. Because I know in primary, we use a lot of board maker symbols um, so that, you know, the pupils know exactly what's coming next in the day. And that can calm them down when they're already probably a wee bit anxious about having to come online. It's a different environment. It can totally, you know, relax them and make them feel a wee bit more comfortable as well. Yeah, just on that last point, I don't think that's just for uh, students. I feel that myself. I've gone into a few of these virtual meetings and there's always that sense of, you know, what's the script going to be here? Is people going to have their cameras on? So I quite like when you when you first arrive and it's like low pressure, tells you kind of what the expectations are and then you can kind of relax and settle in yourself. Aye, yeah. totally. And I think, can I go on, to, can I pull them back to Mary Jane's point, that idea of the kind of symbols, it also allows you to, you know, as you would do, you would normally have subtly kind of noted up in your board or you would have an area of your classroom where the pupils knew what the tasks were that were due later on in that week. So it still allows you to, you know, subtly remind the kids without, you know, having to 
to say anything. Yes, it might already be uh, assigned to them through Google or Microsoft, but it's that idea of it allows you to, you know, just have even that little bit of text that's a reminder of things that are up and coming for them. Aye, that's a great point, like a wee homework reminder or a deadline yeah. reminder or something added in, yeah. So I think we're all in agreement. We're, we, I think we're pretty pro-holding slides in this team, Very correct? Very much, oh, 100%. <laughs> cool, cool. Right, let's move on then to the final uh, digital tool that we are going to be looking at today, or it's more of a digital concept, I guess, because there's various different tools that you can use to do this. But this is the idea of using polls or forms Um, during a live lesson. Um, So this is slightly more complicated because it's not just necessarily one thing being used for one reason. There are many different reasons uh, why you might use a poll or a form, but specifically looking at live lessons. Um, Gav, do you want to just tell us a little bit about polls and forms? Yeah, basically it's a sort of way of getting a snapshot of what's going on with your class and they're quite versatile in that you could ask a question and get a sort of whole class response where maybe people are just voting on how well they're understanding the concept that you're currently talking about and that's maybe not even an individualised response. And then you could also set up in a way that allows you to get a snapshot of each individual learner and how they're getting on with the learning. Absolutely. So we're kind of talking about this today, I guess, in the in the context of, because there's lots of ways that you can use polls and forms, but we're speaking specifically about sort of measuring pupil engagement, which is obviously a huge hot topic just now with online learning and with live lessons, mm-hmm. um, or the idea of using polls and forms to support the learning that's happening during a live lesson. So easy. How easy is it to set up a poll or a form? Are some of the options easier than others? What are our thoughts? Um, Well, I guess it's easy for me to say it's easy because I've spent a little bit of time figuring it out. So I would concede that there is a learning curve with any any new software or new tool. Um, But what I would say about that is it's probably time well spent. So the time that you spend figuring out how to use something like Microsoft Forms or Google Forms is going to ultimately save you a lot of time down the line trying to get the same kind of information. Um, So once you've spent that time, they are then easy to set up. And as a, as a quick example, if you're doing it in Teams, there's a forms bot, which means you can just type at forms and then your question and then each possible answer separated by a comma and that'll just jump up into the chat. So that makes it, that's a really easy and quick way of starting out. And those kind of questions can be even really trivial things like, you know, what kind of biscuits is everybody eating during today's meeting? And that's quite a nice place to start as well because it's low pressure for the pupils, like there's no wrong answers. And that's a way of getting them used to using an online poll as well before you maybe drip feed in some of the more important kind of assessment and feedback stuff. Yeah, I, re- I really like that, as you're saying there, Gav, that idea of, but the bit that that I like is a lot of this, you know, you can do it before the lesson. It's, it's all in the kind of preparatory stuff. So you, you know where you're wanting to go throughout your, you know, uh, plan lesson. So you can drop in little things, whether it's the kind of checking for understanding aspect but it's something that you're not having to necessarily do off the cuff or off the hoof. You're, you, you know, you are able to go away and kind of, as you said, it takes a little bit of time to get used to it. Go plan it and then have them sitting in the background read, ready to go that you can just fire them in the chat or post them through your teams, etc. Absolutely. I've also seen a couple of people do sort of off-the-hoof polls, I guess, like if you're more familiar with it and you're very confident with your use of technology, um, this is something that could be done just really quickly to measure. I saw someone um, doing like sort of emoji 
um, feedback. So just in the chat, a quick poll of like thumbs up for this, like thumbs down for this or heart means this, sun means this, whatever. So, you know, attributing a, a, a value to an emoji and just asking for sort of a, a check-in, if you like. Um, what about compatibility then? Um, again, the sort of curricular compatibility is slightly moot, although perhaps not. Gav and I are both English teachers, so polls and forms for us, sometimes a little bit of a... Anything with a right or wrong answer for an English teacher is something that's of, often a... A bit of a contested issue. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was thinking of in my opening when I described them as being quite versatile because I feel that in any learning environment, whether it's in the classroom or online, you're you're going to be wanting to check in with how well the students are understanding what you want them to be learning about. And, you know, you can use these tools for a little bit of formative assessment, getting the pupils to do some self-evaluation, even just like you said, the thumbs up, how well are you understanding this? Or you can you could have a more formal, structured kind of form of assessment that's a kind of end of unit quiz with multiple choice answers or something. That would be like, as Andy said, something you'd have to have pre-prepared before the lesson and just, just drop in the link. So I feel that there's compatibility there and that they are versatile to do all the kind of the types of assessment that you would naturally be doing as a teacher. Um, and like you said, Kerry, as, as English teachers, obviously, we might not be able to do self-marking quizzes all the time if it's a more... Uh, nuanced answer or about connotation or something, you can always go back in and manually mark these yourself anyway. So it's, they're not always about being self-marking. Yeah. So, so are we saying definitely compatible for learning and teaching irrespective of what your subject is because it's that sort of basis, that foundation of, you know, checking for understanding, making sure that everyone's on the same page. Well, I think so. In, in the yeah. same way that you would use an exit pass, you can recreate that digitally using one of these polls. Yeah. So that that has a, a place in any good yeah. learning situation. So I think it has, has a valid place online as well. Absolutely. So we've covered the useful stuff, I think, in, in part of that discussion anyway. Uh, but I guess we're saying useful for um, measuring engagement, checking who maybe needs mm -hmm. a bit of extra support. Yeah. Um, anything that they're not so useful for, just to flip it on its head a little bit. Yeah, just to kind of expand on that first point, um, I think where you're looking for a more detailed answer or response, I'm thinking about students writing essays. It's it's not as appropriate a platform to get a more complex response from a student. Um, I think you might you might want to give them more time for an answer as well than perhaps a, a form during an online lesson suggests it's sort of time limited as well. Yeah. And that might inhibit the kind of response that you're going to get. So there are some types of assessment and activities where they might not be the most useful option to go to. Yeah. But we're seeing in general, a very useful addition to your online learning environment. Yes? Good tool for the toolkit. Good tool for the toolkit. Is that you getting a wee plug-in for your uh, CLPL offering that's going to be coming up, Andy? I don't know what you're talking about there at all, Kerry. <laughs> Do not know what you're talking about. Okay, so that covers the three things that we wanted to talk about today. Uh, hopefully that has given you some food for thought. Really, that's what this is all about. Giving you some things to think about, go away, chew over them, see if they're useful for you. And use them or equally not use them if you don't think that they're going to be suitable. So before we 
go. We've got one final thing that we would like to do as a sort of feature that's going to happen at the end of each of the podcast episodes. And it's basically just us looking for things that have made us smile or made us ponder or made us think. Something that we've seen possibly on Twitter or online somewhere related to digital or digital learning or learning and teaching in an online environment that we thought that's really interesting. So I think we've decided, Mary Jane, if I'm correct, that we are going to call this what? Our digital discovery. Our digital discovery. Fabulous. A little bit of alliteration there to keep the English teachers happy. Um, So digital discovery... Something that's made you smile or think or celebrate <laughs> internally this week when you've seen it. Who wants to go first? Oh, I'm jumping in, right. So, Kerry, obviously, uh, I do like looking through Twitter. It's one of my regular uh, <laughs> enjoyable pastimes. It's a fantastic platform for just uh, getting loads of ideas. And I saw an article that are, you know, at a blog post that, that one of our our own Falkirk Council teachers had written and it was about, you know, this idea of reasons to be positive about remote learning and Mrs Jalland had pulled this together and I just thought, like, I just thought it was fantastic. I just loved the, the, I loved the last point that came down to this idea of what what we are starting to do now and putting into practice now is going to be what happens in years to come and this is now going to be common practice and I just I just loved how she pulled that all together so that definitely made me smile and it you know it was one of those ones that when you're reading you're sitting nodding your head in agreement and and just smiling thinking love it I just thought it was a fantastic thing so I would definitely get onto a a Twitter it's at LA Primary One and check that one out it's well worth a read fabulous great anyone else um, so my digital discovery this week is actually something that I did discover in the first lockdown and used on Teams with my class at the time. But it um, came up in a family conversation last night. One of the family members had discovered this and it is um, Google View in 3D mm. if you've ever tried it. So you can Google, for example, this was animals we were talking about last night. And if you Google the animal... Google sometimes gives you the option to be able to view it in 3D or in augmented reality. So that animal can then appear in your house. Um, I don't know, it was just, it's a lot of fun as well, but it's also great. We used it in, um, like I say, in, in the first lockdown with the class and it was just a great way to discuss different types of animals and, and really as a conversation starter for some of the, the pupils and um, ones that didn't have pets, they really enjoyed using it as well. So it was just just a good fun thing. Lovely. Nice. That's cool. That's a good one. Yeah, I've used uh, the AR tool. In my house, we have AR hide and seek, <laughs> where you can place the animal somewhere randomly, give the, give the phone to the child, who then has to run around the house and... <laughs> It's amazing watching the reaction as they find a tiger standing in the middle of the living room. <laughs> love that. Um, I love that. But the thing that made me smile this week was it's obviously been tough trying to do the online learning. 
teachers I think have, have found it very difficult, students have found it difficult. So the thing that impressed me was just the humour that came through all of that and some of the stories that teachers were sharing, um, you know, talking to teachers and WhatsApp groups and whatnot. And the one that stands out for me was a teacher who detailed how they had outlined this incredibly well-planned task. And then at the end of their big speech, they said to the class, does anyone have any questions? Somebody went to the trouble of raising the digital hand and then piped up, where did you get that wallpaper, miss? <laughs> or some, some other such <laughs> trivial nonsense, like, do you have a PlayStation? Or how many sugars are in that tea? Just, and if you were talking earlier about trying to gauge the level of engagement from the students, I think that sometimes those little moments can, uh, can reveal the kind of engagement that we're getting. But, you know, well done to all the teachers that have persevered with it and, and keep the funny anecdotes coming. It's so funny because that happens in class as well. It's interesting that that's a behaviour that's come online too. You know, when you've just delivered a big spiel about what you want them to do and you're like, right, okay, guys, let's get ready to go. Anybody got any questions? And they're like, do you think that a bear could be a shark in a fight, miss? And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, or you ask a really complicated question and you're delighted that somebody's got their hand up and you're like, oh, somebody knows the answer. And it's like, can I go to the toilet? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so it's nice that online is not a completely different experience to the classroom teaching. Exactly, exactly. I really like that one. That was good. That was good. My digital discovery is one from a couple of weeks ago, actually. I think when we were all hit with the news of, of lockdown, is it, are we 2.0 or 3.0 now? Two. Who knows? I think 2.0 in Scotland, but England are calling it 3.0. Okay, so when we heard this news of, of sort of online teaching again and uh, live lessons for an indefinite period of time, one of the tweets that I came across um, was from at Ms. Dowd Sai, who is actually a science teacher in America, who made a very, very, very useful Twitter thread that basically just gives some real practical advice on online learning um, from everything to there was there was one about uh, getting up and having a wee dance break just to get yourself moving after sitting in front of the screen for so long um, but her number one piece of advice was accept that your old 100% cannot be your new 100% and I think that idea of like we're not trying to replicate everything that we would do in the classroom as we would do it in the classroom and that some things have got to give and some things have got to be different and that that's an opportunity for discovery and for creativity and for growth um, and I actually think that from what we've seen on Twitter anyway like teachers are unbelievably rising to that challenge with such passion and dedication that you know, it, it really is commendable and it kind of actually, just to kind of cheat and do another one, it fits in quite nicely with another tweet that I had seen earlier on in the week where it was basically somebody um, saying that they wished that the media and politicians would stop rubbishing remote learning. It's been delivered in schools right across the country with skill and confidence by professionals who have risen to the challenge. Magnific mag oh man, I've just stumbled over that. Magnificently. Um, how about celebrating that and I think that's that's really really important completely agree with that one happy days so I think that just about does it for our very first episode our inaugural episode of curricular carryout hopefully that's been useful um, and you found it interesting uh, we have enjoyed being with you while you have commuted from work or done the dishes or done the laundry or pottered about or whatever it is that you've been doing and um, we do hope that you will join us again if you 
have anything that you think we should be talking about, if you've got anything to contribute, if you want to come on and talk to us about something. Um, we're very open to suggestion. We're very open to having different people, different voices and bringing them to this platform. Um, so you can get in touch with us again on Twitter at Connected Folk. And if you're one of the Falkirk teachers, then I'm sure that we will be hearing from you. We hope to anyway. And even if you're not one of the Falkirk teachers, please do get in touch. Um, we have put this podcast out I want to say globally, but that sounds a bit ambitious, but it is technically globally. Um, so if you have managed to find us from somewhere else, you are more than welcome to join us again for episode two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, however long this goes on for. Um, but until then, we will say cheerio. Bye-bye. Thanks, guys. Bye. Cheers.